when my brother and dad passed, it made me realize we're not all here forever. And so many people postpone things they want to do for some time in the future or when they're retired. Um, I saw my brother, you know, when he's 27, like perfect health. And all of a sudden, you know, within a few months, he, he was gone. It spiraled my life down for a couple of months of depression. And when I came out of it, I'm like, man, I'm going to go at the things that we love to do together more passionately and with a purpose. And, you know, I'm going to go go forward because you know, going forward is the only way we can go in life. And so you know, if I want to try to visit every country or, you know, hike up mountains or feel alive and feel like I'm maximizing my time. It's the only way I know how to slow down time is to have new experiences, do things that make you feel alive and in the moment. You know, if I disappeared from planet Earth tomorrow, I feel like I'd live a full life. Welcome everybody to episode 18 of the Paul and Pals podcast. I'm your host, Pointing Boy Paul, and Paul and Pals is a podcast where I interview my creative pals to learn how they became who they are today to inspire you for tomorrow. On this episode, I have a creative conversation with my pal, Brian Asher, AKA The World Hiker, uh, who's kind of known for uh, hiking the world. In this episode, Brian kind of tells us what really inspired him to pursue this goal of reaching all 197 countries. He then kind of tells us his favorite and least favorite experiences while doing all this. And lastly, he follows up with some words of advice on why one shouldn't postpone things. So um, without any further ado, let's get creative. Yeah, man. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for uh, willing to take the time. I know you're pretty much always across the world. And I think when we first connected, I think like December, maybe December, November, you were like in Ecuador. So like, I was just glad I was able to connect with you uh, for the time. But yeah, let's just start, you know, introduce yourself. Where do you live? What do you do? And we'll just kind of go from there. Sure, you got it. My name is Brian Asher. Um, I grew up in Sacramento, California, and I've been a teacher for about 10, 11 years. And I've kind of tried to teach my students and show people how you can travel the world and do it on a teacher's budget. Didn't grow up rich, lots of money with family that traveled and I've uh, been to 195 of the 197 countries mm-hmm. in the world over the last 14 years. And I love to trail run, run marathons, mm-hmm. um, try to maximize life, you know, try gotcha. to get everything out of it that you can. And uh, yeah, over Christmas, like you said, I was in, in Ecuador. It's one of the countries I could get into over Christmas break. Yeah. And uh, took the negative COVID test, got down there and hiked up <laughs> big, big volcanoes and got some indigenous markets I visited and went in the Amazon and did a lot of different things down there. So. Every, every school break, I try. I try to go somewhere. It's tough gotcha. right now, but I try yeah, the best yeah. I can. And it's funny you mentioned the 195 countries because when I was uh, writing the promo, right, I was going to be like, oh, like I was going to hype it up like, oh, over 200 plus countries. And then I Google, I'm like, yo, how many countries are there in the world? <laughs> and I realized it's only like technically 197. So I'm actually really glad that I checked that. Um, but before we get into your, your traveling, because that, that's something that you've kind of done pretty much in the last couple of years. Can we talk about like kind of just growing up? Like what was your lifestyle like, your childhood? And let's let's go from there. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in Sacramento. Um, grew up in the suburbs of Sacramento. Uh, played three sports, played soccer, basketball, baseball. Went to aunt and uncle's houses and in states. Didn't really travel at all. Didn't camp at all. Didn't run at all. Um, never imagined going to other countries really because it wasn't part of my lifestyle. And uh, kind, of, kind of normal growing up. Mm-hmm. Played, played three sports in high school and got a scholarship to play some baseball in college. And then once I stopped playing baseball in college, man, I, I got too much free time. I'm, I'm way too active to just sit around. And I saw some of my friends kind of getting fat and, <laughs> and drinking beer. And that lifestyle just didn't quite, didn't quite fit for me. And so uh-huh. my brother talked me into working at a summer camp in Colorado. And, uh, man, that opened my eyes. So the outdoors, working as a backpacking guide, taking teenagers up to 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. And that, uh-huh. that just gave me the shift I needed from team sports slash the college party lifestyle that quickly kind of got old for me to, uh, to something else, an outlet I could put my energy into got when you. I was about 19, 20 there. Got you. And uh, growing up, what was like your interests in terms of like, do you kind of have an idea? I know you're a teacher right, right now, but like, was that kind of always your interest growing up or were you more like, cause it seemed like you were playing uh, college sports, were you kind of more like, I really want to dedicate my life to sports. Like what was your kind of thinking growing up? Yeah, no, I didn't imagine teaching at all. <laughs> I studied, <laughs> studied economics. I couldn't get. I couldn't wait till three o'clock every day. The school bell rang to yeah. go out and play soccer, basketball, baseball with my friends. So I figured something with business. You know, I got different family members that work with business, and uh, no, teaching not on the outs. 
It was definitely not the options, but that changed when I went down to Guadalajara when I was 21, 22, right out of college and started taking Spanish classes. And um, they offered me a job teaching at the same school and I rejected it twice. And then the third time they asked me, I just tried a few conversation classes at night. And so uh, got into it and was terrified to be on stage, kind of in front of 20 or 30 adults that yeah. I never met before. And after a couple of weeks, like they were really nice to me. I started enjoying it so that I got into teaching and that's, you know, kind of snowballed you. into the next five or six years of teaching English abroad. Absolutely love. And I still teach English sometimes when people want private classes. So okay. yeah, that was something I really enjoyed doing. Got you. And uh, with, with that being said, when you first got into your teaching, cause I know you were, you were you're basically, you're a high school Spanish teacher now, right? Yeah. You got it. Six years teaching high school Spanish at the same school that my brother and I graduated from in Sacramento. Okay. That's really dope. And now <laughs> that you're, you're, you were fluent, and I know you were kind of traveling. Like, what was your first traveling experience like? Was it like to a Spanish-speaking country and you kind of like, oh, I really like doing this? Or how did that How did that go? Sure, yeah. First time out of the country. 21, senior year in college. Went down and did a trip to Costa Rica solo couchsurfing is where you can stay for free. It's an online community. Some people think couchsurfing would be dangerous, but some people think it might, uh, you know, be a good idea to save money. And that's, that's <laughs> what I went for. So you stay with a local family or someone that's registered online mm -hmm. and uh, stay for free, was terrified, you know, had like four kind of gates <laughs> led into the, the door when I got there at this yeah. local family's home in the capital of Costa Rica. And they, they treated me well. I didn't speak much Spanish at the time, but it was, it was exciting, terrifying. I mean, all the emotions kind of packed into one. I don't think I slept at all the first couple of nights, but when you have something that makes you feel that alive yeah. you either hate it or you love it and for me i hated it a little bit but i loved it like 90 percent. so gotcha. i wanted to you know feel more of that that I, excitement of, of being abroad that was my first time 21 years old i mean i never really left the country tijuana doesn't count when you drive down for, <laughs> yeah. you know, three hours or something so yeah. that, was, that was really the first time and I was like, man i gotta taste some more of this and, and see what it's like so i can that, relate to that, that. Just kind of broke me in i can relate to that I actually um one thing i was able to do while i was in college is you know travel abroad every summer and one of my summer trips was actually to Costa Rica to live with the family. And like you said, I was kind of scared because like, you know, they speak Spanish the whole time. It's not like a, they're, they, they're speaking English, Spanish the whole time. And so I was able to get by. I definitely, I'm not fluent like you are, but I can, uh, you know, I can speak, you know, muscle manos, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but <laughs> So let's, I kind of want to talk more into like, you had this first trip. It was very beautiful. You enjoyed it. It made you really switch your mindset, right? But I want to know, like, is that what made you be like, oh, I'm going to go to every single country in the world? Like, where was that pivot coming from? Yeah, that took a long time. To come. So that okay. first trip, um, you know, senior year in college. Then after that, I realized that I wanted to go abroad after school because I couldn't afford to do it abroad. A lot of people, my brother did two abroads during college. It was part of his tuition. He was on a full ride. And for me at my at Sac State, where I went, mm. I see a couple of I think, people here that are going to or graduate from Sac State on. So. Yeah. Um, that I couldn't afford it. So I was trying to save up and I'm like, man, I can do this for less than whatever it was in the day, 6,000 a semester or something. So I'll go down on my own and travel like a backpacker and just hitchhike and do it cheap once I graduate from school. And so that's, uh, yeah, that was kind of mindset I took and really like every country didn't come into, come into play for six, seven years later. I mean, it was just mm -hmm. living in Latin America, teaching English, being abroad and had been to 10, 15 countries, but was just like traveling within the countries during those five or six years. And then when I came back to the U.S. and I realized I had those three months of vacation the high school teacher does instead of two weeks, then um, started wanting to go places every break and didn't even count them, but they started adding up, you know? Gotcha. So it started adding up like you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 countries. And then what, two, three years ago, I realized I was at 90 and I started meeting people that were going to every country. And it was really a couple of friends that I met along the way. That were like I'm at 160, 170. Wait till you get to West Africa. Wait till you get to Central Africa. Wait till you get to the Middle East, and you know you're, you're gonna see what you're really made of. And so I just started thinking, man, I've been to the easier countries. I wonder what like the harder countries yeah. in the world to visit would be like. So that kind of got me curious. Got you. Okay, easy and harder countries. Let's talk about that. So when what what would you define as an easy country, and what was a hard country for you? Sure. Western Europe, <laughs> Western <laughs> that, Europe is super easy. Okay. Yeah, you were saying you were saying about going to Spain and things like those yeah. things are easy. I mean, not not to like knock them. I mean, it's great. I mean, everyone wants to go to Western Europe. There's a reason why Italy and Spain and France and England and Scotland have visitors and they're safe. And you see 15 year olds taking trains by themselves. You know, yeah. like those are easy countries to visit because lots of people speak English. They're safe. 
transportation. I mean, like it's more of what we're used. To. Yeah. And then harder countries, you could probably guess what some would be, but you know, we'll say like the Yemen's and Saudi Arabia's and South Sudan and the Congo and countries that there's a ton of red tape. It's way different. Security might be an issue. Maybe there's no infrastructure. Maybe you don't know anyone that's been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely like the world in thirds for me. There's the third everyone goes to, the middle third, which I love, and the third where if you're going to the, every country in the world, you'll visit the last third. Otherwise, like <laughs> don't don't start with countries in my mind one twenty to one ninety seven. Like you know, start with something easier. For sure. Yeah, and let's talk about that because I remember during one of our when I was catching up with you earlier this week you had mentioned something about like those places that you're supposed to be scared of. Right. Mm-hmm. And you kind of mentioned that there are places that are like not the easiest to travel. So could you kind of go in more detail what you mean by those places that you, you still wanted to go, even though they might not seem like, you know, they're safe to go. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of those countries end up being my favorite countries because uh, I was mentioning to you earlier this week, but like if you walk down the street in Rome or Barcelona, you're one of a million people, right? That's a foreigner, that's a tourist. So they're, they don't really care. Often they'll ignore you. If you're in a place like, uh, I don't know, Rome, Barcelona, Madrid, where else? Anywhere that's popular, mm-hmm. they, they don't care. They see a million of you. But when you go to Northern Pakistan, if you're in Saudi Arabia, or if you're in the vast majority of African countries, like people take an interest in Bangladesh. I'll throw that country out. Like probably no one here has been to Bangladesh. Literally every time you take a picture, there's like six people behind you smiling, wanting to meet you and curious on what picture you're taking. And like, so tremendously friendly. Sometimes it's scary how friendly they are, but like when you're in the streets, like you have a fan club everywhere you go. And so, um, you know, it's just night and day when you go to countries that no one goes to or supposedly more dangerous or less touristy countries compared to countries where there's a billion people together and either they're trying to scam you, they're ignoring you, you know, they've seen a million of you, they're tired of you, like, you know, whatever it is, it's just really an authentic experience when you go to places that have fewer visitors. Got you. And has, have you had any, cause I mean, you, you're saying it like they're all friendly, but have you had any <laughs> like bad experiences? It seems like it's all been kind of pretty rosy and good. Uh, no, there's a lot of rough experiences. I mean, <laughs> I'm a positive, upbeat, optimistic person. Gotcha. Um, and you ha- you have to be that way. But yeah, when you're going, I mean, I went through 41 countries in Africa in a row without leaving the continent. And 41? I mean, 41. There's 54 wow. countries in Africa. So I've been to 13 before and then went 41 in a row two years ago. I took the year off of teaching. And I mean, that will bring you to your knees. <laughs> it, will, it will bring you to your knees when you're at borders and they pull you behind a shed and you're the only you know white person yeah. in the bus, the only foreigner, and they're going to bribe you or try to, you know. Oh, talk you into why you can't cross over the border and i mean yeah and it happens time after time after time gotcha. so do you have a, mem- um, a memorable one that sticks out right now oh man i remember i think it was going it was close to nigeria it was going between like benin and togo and yeah, shout, out, there. shout out nigeria <laughs> yeah no nigeria was great in, in lagos there i stayed with a friend that i met online and so I stayed in lagos lagos is a fun city and nigerians are really fun and he told me and i think it's true and i think you embody it is that nigerians are Kind of the most enthusiastic upbeat proud of their culture yeah um they have a lot of things going for them and they know it gotcha. and so it's it's you know the country after you said they're really population. handsome too right like really like and, and good looking, yeah. <laughs> good looking. <laughs> but yeah. like just like you got your flag behind you right they're proud yeah. of their culture yeah. and the guy i stayed with there in lagos he was the same thing man he was like all about nigeria and i loved it gotcha. you know he, he was very proud of it That's so cool. an example of like going through borders i mean I remember going through the sahara which probably most people know goes, you know, about 7,000 kilometers, like almost 4,000 miles mm-hmm. from east to west or west to east though. And so, um, I mean, I was sitting there in buses with like, you know, five people per two person bench and just sitting there with gas tanks in the middle. There were people sitting on the gas tanks and, you know, the windows cracked maybe a half an inch. It's probably 130 degrees, 125, 130 degrees. And they'd have the windows cracks, the sand doesn't come in the windows. And you're just sitting there just sweating your guts out. Mean, like in my mind, I always tell people, it's like, you just got to like power off. You know, you got to shut yourself down. You're going to go crazy on a 16 yeah. hour day like that. They might not let you out. Use the bathroom. You might get pulled out at checkpoints where the police are going to pick on you because you're the only foreigner in the bus and ask you yeah. what you're doing and follow your documents, you pay them to let it get into the next zone in the country. So, I mean, going from like Mali to Burkina to Niger, those countries are are brutally tough yeah. <laughs> they're, real, they're really hard gotcha. and so you just mentally man you better you better find some 
some zone or some good vibe to stay with because those are those are those are brutal days and got you. you gotta be positive and upbeat. But yeah, day in and day out, I always tell people, you love the one hour you see the pictures of, but most people probably would hate the other fifteen hours. Honestly. Mm. I mean in the harder countries because it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of effort to do it and like yeah. It's it's a lot of effort to do it on your own and do it on the budget. You yeah. can do it the three hundred dollar day version, you can do the thirty dollar day version. You can guess which one I, I pick as a teacher, yeah. you know. So I don't have someone driving me around in a bus or a van or, you know, taking me like escorted everywhere. Like I'm sitting there in the bus sweating it out with all the local people going across <laughs> the Sahara. And so That's you the feel best it. Experience. Yeah, yeah it's you real. feel it, man. It's authentic. It's real. But gotcha. it's, it's definitely a challenge. And let's talk about what's been like one of your favorite slash best experiences. Oh, man, there's a ton. There's a ton of them. Um, let's see which one to pick. I'll try to pick a different one. A little bit. <laughs> uh, Vanuatu is a little country that's over in the Pacific, kind of above Australia, kind of near Indonesia there. Mm. And so I have several friends that work in the Peace Corps. <clears throat> Peace Corps is where you serve for two years and you either work with education or environment or agriculture or health. Mm. And so I had a friend working there in the Peace Corps. And so I got to stay with her and her host family there in Vanuatu. And this is a little remote village. They put Peace Corps volunteers in places where there's no other point in that city. So I got to stay there and they had this um, kind of becoming of a man ceremony where this boy had been off in isolation. It's not weird, but for like yeah. three weeks <laughs> with with a grandpa or with some like an elder in the community yeah. and came back in the community. And so they, you know, sacrificed six or seven pigs. Everyone dressed up. Like it was a day of dancing and kind of celebration and just the costumes, the colors, like this explosion of color and being the only other foreigner there besides friends in the Peace Corps. Um, you just get moments like that where, you know, you get to see something that no one else sees, no one else would ever see because there's not a calendar, festivals or events or something yeah. for foreigners to go to. That's so, true, yeah. I mean, that kind of thing just happens over and over. I had, I've had a lot of magical moments along the way. Got you. And there's kind of two things I want to address uh, that you mentioned re recently. Uh, one, you mentioned traveling on a budget, which is a teacher's budget, obviously. And then two, you also managed, said you took a whole, I think about a whole year off. Yeah. So can you kind of like take us through that experience and how that's been like, or what, sure. what that was like? Yeah, so I, I taught English abroad where, um, you know, by US standards, you make very, very little um, teaching abroad generally. Mm -hmm. And I came back and, you know, I got my credential and I've been teaching high school the last six years. So most people probably realize that teachers make less than the average in the US. So if you're in the US, you know, it's, it's not a high paying job. Um, I do realize that many people in other countries make less, and so I don't take it for granted. That when I come home and I hear teachers complaining in their staff meetings, I realize that many people are working really hard in Mexico or Brazil or Colombia and, you know, making way less in general mm -hmm. dollars. So I don't take it for granted. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that being said, I have never had given paid for my parents if not paid a penny for anything I've ever done. And um, so I've had to be smart and there's kind of two ways you can do it. You can look at it on how much do I spend when I'm going and how much do I save when I'm living day to day. And I try to do both pretty well. So I think people only think about the first one, like, oh, how much do you spend per day? Yeah. So if you hop on Airbnb or booking, you can find places to stay <clears throat> probably 90% of the world for under 20 bucks a night. And you know that's cheaper than almost any hotel in the US. So <clears throat> I try to spend very little when I'm going. I eat street food. I take local transportation. I have friends contacts. I stay there. And I almost never do tours. So on the spending side, I try to stay within a region as well and, and spend little. And then on the saving side, when you're at home, I mean, in the U.S., people send money and all kinds of stuff. You know, I don't drink coffee. I don't really drink alcohol. Um, I don't buy expensive clothes. You know, I don't buy expensive cars and things. I just really value and prioritize and experiences over stuff yeah. and uh, you can call that a minimalist i think a minimalist in the u.s has a lot of things that we still have as far as possession compared to um you know i've been opened up to how people live in a lot of the world so when i turn the tap water you know i'm grateful because i picture people in the, the congo carrying jugs on their heads for you know five miles a day so there's a lot of things that we take for granted in the u.s for sure mm -hmm. um, so i try to live cheaply to prioritize these experiences. So that's the first one on the budget. And the second one you're asking was um, about taking a year off. So 
at 90 countries two school years ago. I was like, man, I'm never going to get to 197 if I just go on the school holidays. I mean, I would, but it would take a day or something. Yeah. Um, and what would happen if I took one year off? And so um, had had come home and take care of family issues. And um, my brother and father had passed um, within a year, which is really a rough year for me. And I'd come home to help support my mom, take care of my mom. So I moved back in the home. And then uh, had to get mom set up so I could go. She depended all on me. So um, during that year, I promised myself that I'd help her move out, clean out all of our stuff for 30 years, being in the home, and find her a place to live with friends. And then if I could do that, then I would think about taking a picture off, possibly as a uh, self-created sabbatical, in my mind, as a goal to try to visit 50, 60, 70, however many countries I could get to the following year. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to sell the house. Basically, I was born and um, helped set up mom, put the money away from mom, you know, trusting that will take care of her the rest of her life. And uh, went and asked for a leave of absence the next day with the principal of my school, which I was pretty nervous about doing because I thought he's like going to say, no, you can't yeah. do that. You know, we're done. Like, you know, good luck. Have, you know, find a job when you come back. But he said, Spanish will be a requirement the year you come back at our high school. So Ozar will be looking for more Spanish. Okay. So we'd love to have you back. It's been great to have you the last five years. And um, get the paperwork. I'll sign it for you tomorrow. I'm like, ah, I was going to quit either way. <laughs> so I was, like, I was like, man, that's that's great. If I can come back the next year, basically yeah. not guaranteed, but almost guaranteed a job mm-hmm. back, then um, you know that, that gave me some comfort knowing that I could come back literally a week before school started or less and jump right back into the job. So mm-hmm. um, I left two days after school started on my birthday, June 11th. Um, two school years ago and took a carry-on backpack with a drone a GoPro and like four t-shirts and two pairs of pants a pair of shorts not much I mean minimalist stuff and uh, a little terrified to take on the second half of the world with the harder more dangerous scarier countries um, and had a general ballpark in my head of how I do it Caribbean Pacific Central Asia Middle East Africa and then, you know, whatever I had time for after that. So yeah. it was gone exactly 14 months, literally four days before school started. I came back the day before meeting started and went to exactly 100 countries that year, which blew my mind away and was left with six left when I got back. And I mean, that's that's a nutshell version of it. But I mean, yeah. every day is like a full-time job. I just put in the same energy I put into teaching into trying to get into every country in the world because visas, paperwork, contacts, WhatsApp contacts, other travelers, like, I mean, every day I was just on the grind, just, just going at it, yeah. trying, trying to, trying to make it happen. Wow, that was a lot, man. Man, that's that's a that's a lot to to overcome right there, and still have that that passion to to go do what you really wanted to do. And like when you were, because I, I want to know also when you kind of established a world hiker persona, but when you were dedicating yourself to this one year of just traveling everywhere, like the rest of this uncharted territory. Was your mom, was she like, oh, that's fine? Or was she like kind of very worried? Because it seems like it was like more of the dangerous countries, right? Yeah, I think I broke her in pretty early. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> when, I was, when I was first going, I mean, I kind of hitchhiked and took buses from Sacramento down to Columbia. So I think at that point, I mean, that was when I was like 23, maybe after my first year in Mexico. So mm. at that point, I think mom and dad learned to uh, to trust me. So my mom's really good. Actually, she... She does not worry almost at all. And she actually researches the places where I go and wants to learn about them and like has in fact tell me rather than be careful or don't do this or don't do that. Like she tells me like, did you know this, this and this about, you know, where I'm living or where I'm going to in Colombia? <laughs> so she's, she's, she's really good on it. I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah. Doesn't throw a lot of fear my way. We know kind of people's thoughts and opinions you know, can affect you. And so um, yeah. she doesn't throw a lot of fear my way, but just encourages support. She loves learning about it. That's really good. Shout out. And then um, I also, also want to ask, when did you establish you were the world hiker? Like, was that something like an idea you had? Or was that kind of part of your one year sabbatical trip? Like, when did that come from? Yeah, the year before I left, in my mind, I was cranking away, thinking about planning this and getting everything ready and sold and stuff. So um, that would be interesting to make a website. And I was talking to my students. I think my students probably gave me the idea, like, hey, you like to travel and you like to hike and do the outdoors. Like, those are the two things you're always doing. And mm-hmm. so once you figure out some way to combine it. And so I think I threw out a couple of ideas to one of my classes. I was like, well, heck, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And like, it's not registered. <laughs> Domain yeah. name still available. And 
So I just think like it kind of meshed the two things I love to do, which is running outdoors, hiking. I mean, I love the outdoors. I'm working in a given week. I'm all going to the mountains and stuff. And then, um, you know, basically the three months off of school every year, I'm in another country almost every day. Not every day, but vast majority of it. Yeah. And so it just seemed like the, the way to do it. And they're like, hey, if you're going to go, you might as well share. And I never really used Instagram that much. I made a YouTube video. And so um, by no means am I an expert at it. But, yeah, I enjoy sharing and kind of show them what it's like. What it's like, really. You know, I yeah. think there's a lot of people. It's fine. I got friends that do this, too. But, like, we'll pose in really cool outfits and things and kind of make it look glamorous and, like, I don't know. I wear four t-shirts for a whole year. So you can tell that I'm not that glamorous of a person. <laughs> so I try to show a little bit of the reality of it uh, and yeah. um, not make it seem overly perfect when you're in a country that, you know, half the country maybe people that are just seriously looking for food, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that it's picture perfect and that yeah. you know, I'm sitting here posing, just relaxing. So, you know, I'll try to bring a little bit of a light to the situation and show some reality to it. Yeah, I, I saw your uh, your YouTube. The I think it's it's the World Hiker, and uh, I think what I really liked about it was like it was a very like genuine like day in the life of, which is a kind of really cool to see because I think that's really the best way to to learn about a country to like know what am I going to experience versus what you might see advertised on like a billboard or, or a website. So I definitely think you're doing a pretty good job with that. And um, I was going to ask you, do you kind of have an idea of what your next spot because you said 195 out of 197 so where are the two remaining countries yeah that's the question everyone asked me north korea and taiwan are the last two. Oh, so that's my so, take okay no no it's all good i mean that's like yeah. the obvious the obvious like what are the last two i should have mentioned that right off of that so literally thanksgiving 13 months ago i signed up on a tour you go to the dmz which is the demilitarized zone between north and south korea and you go it counts it's not the way i like to do it but you can go to the blue house it's technically in north korea step across you go like 10 yards 10 meters into the country yeah and uh, that's the only way americans can do it um because uh. we've been banned from north korea because oh, several years ago it took a propaganda yeah. poster off the wall died because of trauma and mysterious reasons and the yeah. u.s kind of has banned americans from going for the last three straight years so that's the way several friends have done it it's not ideal i was signed up for that tour every single school break in the last year because of health issues and so Taiwan's a piece of cake. You can walk into Taiwan, normal year, on COVID life, yeah. and uh, visa free. I got a friend that teaches English in Taipei. So if I had literally three days, I could finish. But I've had to be patient for the last year, obviously, <laughs> as we haven't had three normal days in the gotcha. world. In, uh, and what's your goal? Because like, I was kind of thinking, like, now that you're pretty close to that 197, do you feel like once you reach that, do you have any plans an idea or you're kind of just going to keep traveling like it doesn't matter like what's what's kind of your, your yeah reason? that's a good question i mean there's a lot of places i'd love to go back to um i always mention like china or russia or you know, mexico brazil india these were the world's like biggest countries they are 20 countries within one or 100 countries within one i mean there's so much to see if you've been to sichuan and yunnan province of china and the great wall like have you seen it <laughs> you know have you have you really experienced china I mean, Mexico, I've been, you know, lived, lived here several times. I've actually been to all 31 states in Mexico. But there's still places that I go. I'm like, man, I never heard of that place. You know, like last weekend, going to a place with all these waterfalls and like spectacular. And like, I, had, I never knew about it until, you know, a month or two ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot to see. I don't imagine stopping it. I mean, I might transform um, kind of the way I do it. I've gone pretty hardcore and pretty budget and pretty solo, which makes for a lot of long days. But um. And I think I like to go, you know, with, with friends, with, um, you know, we'll see if it works out to, yeah. to, you know, be married or have family or how things will shape up here. But, <laughs> you know, for now, that's been the goal for the last few years just to get to everyone. I don't imagine stopping, you know, completely, but it might change the, the way I yeah. travel at least a little bit. And one thing that we didn't talk about as much is you're also really big into running, right? You've, you're, you've run a couple of marathons. I think I was reading or maybe I was watching something about, uh, a marathon you ran in Brazil, I believe. I think you won that one. Yeah, there was yeah. one in Portugal. That's okay. how I met your buddy Juan, actually. Estaba corriendo allá en Yosemite, lo conocí ahí. Okay. So I met him there. I was doing a uh, 50 kilometer, like 30, 32 mile loop. And um, yeah, I've run 62 full marathons, 26.2 miles. And maybe about smaller ones that I've run in. And so, um, by no means am I saying that I'm passing everybody. There's a lot of people <laughs> passing me. But for a while there, there's a lot of trail marathons in California that I did pretty well. In. And um, one in Portugal that was fun that I made a video on. 
they called me a Brazilian on national TV, which probably made me as happy as winning the marathon, honestly, when they called me Brazilian, oh, Brian really? Asher on national, national TV in Portugal, and uh, passed the guy who's a former Olympic marathoner in, in Portugal, Slight that flex. was past his prime, <laughs> past his prime, uh, you okay. very much past his you ain't prime. gotta add that though, just say it, just like, yeah, I beat the Olympian, <laughs> no, past his prime for sure, but um, that was, that was pretty exciting, finishing marathon in, in Portugal, and in, in being first place. And uh, where I met your buddy Juan, which I see his comments there, is yeah. running. Um, anyone who's been to Yosemite, one of my favorite places. But you go up the Mist Trail, goes past Vernal and Nevada Falls. I went up past Halfton and Clouds Rest, came back down, and then I met Juan, your buddy who connected us at uh, yeah. Glacier Point, and it was like 28 miles in or something. And it was snowing at that point, so it was. Uh, I think they were a little surprised. I think, you're, you're, I think you told me you're wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're moving, if you're moving, you know. 35 degrees isn't bad. Obviously, if you're standing still, it is. But. Uh-huh. Gotcha. I think, I think you might have frozen on mine. Do you see it? We all good? Okay, I think you're back now. Okay, I think we're back. Yeah. So, and yeah, uh, I, love, I love running. I try to encourage my students, especially right now with COVID, um, to get out, stay active. I mean, I don't know. I, I admire people who show self-discipline and kind of self-starters that you know, are able to do things right now more than any time in our lives, I think. It's a time where, hopefully, you know, I can encourage people to get out there and stay active. I still run 10K every day, basically, like five or six miles every day on the weekends. Yeah. Go out and hike peaks or snowshoe peaks, um, you know, down in Mexico as well. Been down visiting a little bit. Gone up some 17, 18,000 foot volcanoes. So, um, yeah, stay active. Try to, try to stay stay active all the time. Got you. And, I, yeah, I was going to ask about that. I think, uh, oh, they're saying there's no sound. Can y'all hear me? All right, we all good? Yes, sir. Audio's sound- better? Sound check. <laughs> yeah. I think we're good. But yeah, we had some questions come in while we were waiting. Uh, how many days? So from Michelle, she says, how many days are you spending in each country? How do you appreciate places when you're in and out? When you're so in quick. and out so quick. Okay. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. So for the first 90 countries, I mean, that was over... 13 years, 12 years. So I felt like I did pretty good justice to most of those places on a school break, usually of a week, one or two countries, summer, maybe five or 10 countries. The 14 months was definitely fairly quick, but a lot of the places, I'll give an example, like Nauru, the smallest country in the world. I ran around it once, it was 12 miles. And I took a motorcycle around it eight times. And I was there for three days. So some of the islands, you can see a lot in a short period of time. And some of the African countries are countries that, um, where infrastructure is a little bit harder to get around. Honestly, like the capital or near the capital is kind of what you could do safely, I felt like. Um, so every country is very different. Let's say Yemen, I could only go for a day. Russia, I felt like four weeks was barely scratching the surface. I mean, there's like 10 time zones in Russia. So it really varies on the country. Countries that I want to see more or more outdoors kind of like my lifestyle nepal for example i mean i was there for three weeks and didn't want to leave and um, other countries for safety reasons you know you're, you're kind of in and out quicker than than you want to be so really varies i stay in every country for at least a couple of days if i can minimum never hop in the airport that doesn't count <laughs> i mean like literally every country for a few days i got you okay and i think we had another question come in from juan I said, what is it more like planning or are you kind of freestyling? I think you kind of mentioned that a little bit. Yeah, that's a good question. And I do this constantly. It's going with ideas of places that I've usually pinned on Google Maps <laughs> that are places that I've researched, I've heard of. But then I go and when I talk to local people, I will scratch my plans immediately for whatever local person tells me, wants mm-hmm. to take me, wants to show me, wants to invite me. That will obviously, <laughs> like, I will change my plans immediately for whatever local person tells me. Because yeah. some blog post or what someone's written online is great, but if a local family is going to take me to the mountains with them, then forget what I was doing. So I'd say it's a combination of both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be a good good judge of character. I think I messed up a couple of times. Mm. Pretty good about getting a feel for if someone's wanting to help you out or if they're looking for something. And uh, yeah, you got to have that like character judgment that hopefully you get better and better kind of street smart when you travel. Yeah, you got to be optimistic, like you said. I had another question. Okay, this one is more financial from Carl. He says, what is the biggest piece of advice for saving money on strictly transportation costs when going abroad? Sure. Transportation, 
I'm assuming the flight to get there or within the country when you're there. I'm or assuming I, I could talk both. about both. Yeah. So the flight, I mean, that's always the big cost, especially if you're, let's say, working in the U.S. or Europe or somewhere and you have a week or two weeks vacation. The flight's a hard one. I mean, I try to fly often Tuesdays and Thursdays are cheaper days. I always take layovers. Sometimes you find mistake deals. There's whole like travel hacking blogs and posts and things, and those those are helpful. But the flight's always going to be the big cost. You know, so it's a huge one. When I'm within the country, I can do it really cheap. That one, that one, I feel like I'm even better at than flying finding like mistake fares is um, local transportation. I mean, for mm-hmm. Sure. Sometimes rental cars, what you're going to do. But if you can take local buses, mashrukas, they call them often, like vans that fill up when you get to a street corner in like Central Asia, I think African countries are always like that. Like I want to say Nigeria, same thing. Like if you show up sometimes when the car's full, they'll go to wherever the next town is. And so, I mean, it's time or money. Usually you don't have both. (laughs) So you want to spend more money, you got less time, you're going to have to eat it and get a rental car or driver. If you got more time, you can go how the people go and you can go with local transportation. I try to do that. Got you. And that actually makes me uh, a question come to mind too is the fact, you know, obviously you're the world hiker, right? But I'm assuming you've probably been to all 50 states in the United, in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. I've been to all 50 states in the U.S., all 31 states in Mexico, and um, I've done a lot of outdoors and hiking in the U.S., yeah. especially the western part of the U.S. because I, I grew up in the California. Okay, so I was going to ask, what are your favorite plates within the U.S.? Like, where would you recommend somebody <laughs> they have to check out? Sure. I mean, I worked in Colorado for three years as a backpacking guide, so I think I planned for people's trips to Colorado this fall for them to be able to check out the fall colors. And, I mean, I've taken hundreds of people up the 14,000-foot peaks in Colorado. I love it. I mean, that's probably the one, one of the most spectacular places in our country. Um, Southern Utah, Northern Arizona, I love. That would be Bryce, Zion, Arches, Canyonlands. The Grand Canyon's fantastic. I ran across it again um, this fall for, <clears throat> excuse me, the second time. Met a friend in the middle of the canyon, traded keys, and then drove vehicles the opposite direction so we can only go one way instead of two ways. So yeah. that made it a, uh, what, 24-mile day instead of a 48-mile day. Um, I love the western part of the U.S. I mean, I like the outdoors, so I'll say the Rockies and Colorado. Gotcha. Uh, northern Arizona, southern Utah, northern Washington, really pretty. The Cascades, um, up kind of above Rainier and up that way. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the mountains. That's, that's... I'm going to watch this back and take notes. We got some more <laughs> questions coming in. So Steve says, based on everywhere you've been within the U.S., could you see yourself living where, where besides the U.S. could you see yourself living permanently? Living permanently, sure. Yeah, I've lived in Brazil and Mexico for the longest. I also lived in Colombia, Uruguay, and Bolivia. I love I love Mexico. I feel really at home in Mexico. Um, I love the people. I love the foods. Obviously, speaking Spanish makes it a little bit easier being yeah. down here, um, being able to commute, communicate with everybody. Uh, it feels like a second home. You can I could fly home right now in four hours and be home That's quicker true, than yeah. I get to Houston almost. You know, like in Sacramento. <laughs> so you know, you can go home. You can go down to Mexico. You can go, um, you know, wherever you are in Sacramento. Go to. Mexico City, you can get down to Cancun, you get down to every part of Mexico, basically, in, you know, two to six hours. So I, I love that. And uh, feels, feels like you're close, close to home. I think yeah, Western yeah. Europe, you feel comfortable, but all throughout Mexico is country that I can definitely be living in. Got you. That's dope. Man, questions are rolling in right now. <laughs> <laughs> it says, what country slash region would you recommend for first time travelers? Sure. Yeah. So. Um, Western Europe in general is easy to say, but it's not the cheapest. So if you're looking for a good place to go, and I always recommend to my students, Western Europe's a great place to start. Italy, France, Spain, Germany, Austria. If you want a little bit cheaper countries, move your way Eastern than Europe. Move your way East, right? So Western Europe is more expensive than Central Europe. It's more expensive than Eastern Europe. So if you want to still be in Europe and kind of have the safety comfort of lots of young travelers, then Western Europe's a popular, Central is a little cheaper, Eastern is less popular and even cheaper. So mm. I like I like going to Eastern Europe. I mean, but that being said, I love Latin America. So I wouldn't throw out, you know, like Mexico or Brazil or Costa Rica, yeah. Puerto Rico, Jamaica. I mean, some of these countries are really friendly with foreigners. So they're close and you can get cheaper flights as well. Gotcha. You want to make me get fluent in Spanish ASAP, man. You got it. You got it. There's 20 countries to speak it, man. Everywhere you yeah. go to the South, you, you got to know some Spanish. For real. 
And okay, we ask, what is the favorite mountain that you've climbed? Favorite? Good question. I just went up Cotopaxi in Ecuador, which is the highest mountain I've ever been at. That was 19,400 feet, and uh, I was suffering. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was only there for three days, which is not that much time to acclimate. Acclimate is where you get used to the altitude. So, yeah, you get into Quito, you're at 9,000 feet. <clears throat> I went up a 14,000-foot mountain the first day, 17,000-foot the second day. Third day, went to the mountain refuge. And the fourth day, not really the fourth day, the third night, you wake up at midnight <laughs> you don't really sleep you just take a nap for an hour or two and uh got up for sunrise because the mountain's a lot safer at night you want to get up there for the sunrise the ice and the snow is compact there's a lot less issues avalanche issues and things that was a spectacular one i just made a video on it on uh, on youtube a week or two ago on uh, on photo Paxi. so highest one of my life i'll throw that one out i was just up there a couple weeks ago Nineteen thousand. that's crazy man <laughs> that's a mile higher than mount whitney right it's the highest peak in the continental u.s which is 14 so wow. 19 is, is over a mile higher got you another good another good question from Harney. he says how about food when traveling to new countries how do you navigate the food scene did you find yourself at more y'all love writing paragraphs for these questions <laughs> <laughs> but i think the general question is how, how about food? how did you navigate that sure and i see it are you doing more upscale places i think a lot of people when they travel they find themselves eating it fast food restaurants or chains or expensive places because they don't know where to go or they don't feel like it's safe. My, my, stu- my students asked me this yesterday actually in class. It was like, what do you think about street food? And I told them seven years, eight years abroad, like roughly over 2,000 days abroad and that, you know, I felt food poisoning maybe three or four times or something. So, mm. I mean, I eat street food. I eat out all the time. And so, I in Spanish, I like it. I bet Juan's probably heard of it. Donde está lleno está bueno. And, uh, you know, wherever it's full of people, that's probably a good place to go. Okay. And so you look where the locals are. If the locals are eating there, si es bonito, barato y bueno, then uh, if it's good, cheap, and uh, <laughs> good-looking food, then I try to go there. And, I mean, my mom taught me to, to eat everything. Thankfully, that's that's a blessing that I don't complain. I never say no. I had cuy, which is guinea pig, twice in Ecuador, for example. I had on Christmas Day, which was a little weird not picturing my pet when I was six years old, you know, on my plate there. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much I eat everything and I do not eat at fancy, expensive Western American chains. I avoid them. Like, why would I spend $6 at McDonald's when I could, you know, go down the street from where my friends are and, you know, have a huge Mexican meal for 3 or $4 or something? Gotcha. Like, yeah, no, I don't eat at fancy places at all and have not had too many problems with uh, street food and, and food in general. Got you. Oh man, it's coming in. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is a good. I don't know if you know, you're going to be biased here, but the country with the nicest people. <laughs> <laughs> nicest people. Good question, Jake. Mm, man, there's nice people everywhere. <laughs> nicest people. Let's see. I'm going to throw out India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. I think those countries, for me, jump out. I mean, literally every country I've met. But those countries, like, they're ultra friendly i i think i've mentioned in all my classes i've taught been in pakistan for three weeks like i basically didn't spend a dollar because every day people i have a friend drew binsky he's got two million more followers than i do on youtube but he uh, he made a video called why is everything free in pakistan and the same thing can be said for i think that region um but pakistan's the one that jumped out literally every day and they're like no 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 it's on me and let me go get my cousin and my uncle and my brother and you know everyone to come meet you and like no try this try this try this and so you know, three straight weeks of literally like having your money ready to pay for food or drink or no, no, come stay with me and my family, be an honor. And uh, I mean, you just don't get that in, in, in the part of the world. And, and those countries are ridiculously friendly. But like I said, there's friendly people everywhere. But that region of the world definitely jumped out. Got you. This one stuck out to you for like the meanest people? You know, meanest, the- <laughs> meanest people? I think yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one that, that broke the stereotype. I think we, we hear of Russia. And we think it's cold people for people mm. that are going to be hard to get to know. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So um, I was there for almost a month. I think I mentioned I had a visa for 30 days. I almost used the entire thing. Took some of the Trans-Siberian Railway, went across like half of Russia by train, which is an experience if you haven't traveled by train. And uh, the people, I met some English teachers there. I met some people who were really friendly. 
And so, nah, I, I think yeah, I think it's the opposite. I think it's it's the stereotypes being broken, and uh, yeah. countries like Russia, where I expect people to be a little colder to me or not, something yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, was not the case. That's good. I think there's mean people everywhere, man. It's, I mean, it's, there's a few mean people life. everywhere, but that's, yeah. that's life, right? <laughs> Got you. And I'm going to answer one more, and I'm going to get close to wrapping up. So one last question is, what has been your biggest slash eye-opening experience? Mm. This might be like a conclusion question. I already put out there. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, man, biggest, biggest eye-opening experience. I'd say growing up, wherever you are, in my case, in the U.S., kind of staying within one state, you just hear what the news and the stereotypes and the media portrays of the world, and it makes you scared. And you're either fearful or you're ignorant, you're both. And I think we're all that way when we grow up, right? Because we kind of just assume everything's like what it is in our little bubble, bubble wherever we grow up. And, uh, man, it will it will open your eyes and change your perspective completely when you see how the rest of the world lives. And it made me be grateful, appreciate all the things that we have and that we grew up with, at least, um, you know, for where I grew up and not take anything for granted and see how the rest of the world lives and to learn that people are good. Man, if it's a government or if it's, you know, the news is going to say whatever flood, whatever disaster, whatever, you know, stats of like homicide, the news is only going to say that, right? I mean, yeah. the only thing you're going to hear about Mexico is probably, you know, narcotraficantes and Ciudad Juarez and most of the things are going to pop out in the news. And like, when you come down here, man, I mean, you come down to Mexico, it's just people are fabulous. They're absolutely fabulous. And, you know, I, I just kind of learned to trust, not be ignorant, you know, but to trust that there's so many more good people around. And, uh, yeah, people are good, man. You got to get out there and experience it. Experience it for yourself and see what it's like. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I feel that, too. I mean, obviously, being an immigrant, you know, coming from Nigeria to America, the first time I ever left the country on my own was, uh, it was Western Europe. So that was, like, my first time, like, Oh, like, because my parents were very scared. They were like, oh, be careful. Make sure you do this, that, this, that. And so I was kind of scared. But I get there and you realize they're just people. They're just people mm-hmm. with a different, you know, destination, a different location. And I think you make a good point. I, I strongly believe that everybody should travel, whether that's outside of the country, whether that's outside of where you are. I just think once you kind of step out of your own comfort zone, it makes you a little bit more empathetic and you understand that at the end of the day, people are going through things wherever they are. And I think to base it off of news, is just, it really, I feel like it makes us more distant. So I, I definitely agree with them. Obviously you've been to way more places than I've been. So uh, you probably can definitely keep saying that all day, but I appreciate the, that eye open experience. And sure. I, I, know- I think, I think you're right on too. I think we're taught to be afraid of other cultures and things that are different from mm-hmm. us. And if we grew up in the U S I don't know, we're taught to be afraid of going to whatever, wherever it is, you know, Middle East or Africa, or this part of the world, that part of the world, or China or whatever, you know, we're taught to be afraid to go to these places. When you go, people are living, they're loving their families, they want to work, they want to provide, they want to have food, they want to laugh, they want to be together, like, they have so many more things in common <laughs> than you think, like, when you jump into a family's life, literally their days are based around the same values that we have. For the most mm-hmm. part, their clothes look different, their language sounds different. What they're consuming and eating for food looks different, but I mean, what do they want to do? They want to spend time with family. They want to have a better lifestyle. They want to have a better job. They want to get educated. You know, they want to provide for their kids. And like the core values, we're all the same, man. And so when you get there, all of a sudden you realize like, hey, they want to look out for me because I'm someone who's lost, confused, traveling solo. And so people have compassion. That happens to me everywhere I go, solo traveler. Smart. You know, I'm always on my own for, for most trips and, uh, People take you in and they just kind of accept you like family. And uh, I mean, we're always taught to be scared of strangers in the U.S. And like, there is wisdom to that. But I've had to reach out for help a million and one times and have been helped by strangers all over the world. And, uh, you know, just been received with open arms wherever yeah. wherever I go. And, and I love that feeling when people take you in spur of the moment and, and help you out, show you around, you know, take you to the next place, invite you over, whatever it is, you know, they just... Uh, overwhelming generosity of people around the world is, is really stands out. That's dope. And you kind of might have touched on this right now, but I always uh, like to uh, end the live and ask, you know, words of advice, you know, if, based on all your experiences, all you've done, what is like one word of advice you would give to the people that are listening, watching uh, based on your life experiences? Sure. Yeah. I think I mentioned a little before when my brother and dad passed, like made me realize we're not all here forever. And so many people postpone things they want to do for some time in the future. 
or when they're retired. And I'm like, man, great. I saw my brother, you know, he's 27, like perfect health. And all of a sudden, you know, within a few months, he, he was gone. It, it just spiraled my life down for a couple of months of depression. And when I came out of it, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to go at the things that we love to do together more passionately with a purpose. And, you know, I'm going to go go forward because you know, going forward is the only way we can go in life. And so, you know, if I want to try to visit every country or, you know, hike up mountains or feel alive and feel like I'm maximizing my time, it's the only way I know how to slow down time is to have new experiences, do things that make you feel alive and in the moment challenge you. And so, you know, that 14 months abroad felt like 14 years. If I go out on a Saturday morning and summit a mountain with friends, you know, it feels like three days in one, but like it makes me feel truly alive and you know, if I disappeared from planet Earth tomorrow, I feel like I lived a full life and that's that's what makes me want to keep going and live in the same lifestyle and, you know, trying to encourage other people to do the same. Got you. Now, I completely agree, man. I, I love that, you know, you were able to have that, you know, positive mindset. Obviously, it's still a feeling that's always going to be there, but I, I'm really happy that you've been able to change that and make it what you are today you know i'm really excited i love your content i love uh the messages you give so uh i, I really appreciate you once again for for joining this live i think everybody really enjoyed you willing to share your time your uh your answers to their questions <laughs> um but i'm gonna let you go and i'll wrap it up with the rest of the gang and then we'll uh, we'll catch up later thank you so much for having me i appreciate it thanks for all your right. show for putting all the work in and man happy to share all right man i'll talk to you later man all right Peace. take care Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Paul and Pals. Hope you all enjoyed that episode. If this is your first time listening or watching, uh, please subscribe wherever you listen slash watch. Uh, we got some great content to come, and I'm really excited for this show to grow. And if you want to help me grow, I would love if you guys would share this with somebody that you think could uh, resonate with an episode or a podcast as a whole. And uh, you guys might have noticed that I'm also rocking some, uh, some fresh, hot, new Paul and Pals merch. And this will actually be coming soon, but if you want to be the first to hear about it, subscribe to the newsletter and you can find that in the uh, link in bio, the show notes, the description. From the people that subscribe, I will actually be giving out a discount code uh, so you guys can get it for the low. If you guys want to stay up to date with me, follow me at Ponyboy Paul. Focus more on the show itself. You can follow that at Paul and Pals. And that's all I got, man. So just a reminder, remember to stay creative. Peace.